Well, welcome, brethren, to another Wednesday night Bible study. And tonight, God willing, we'll cover Psalms 90 and 91. We are now in book four of the Psalm, um, what shall I call it? The name just escapes me what to call it. Um, Names escapes me. So we're now in book four of the overall uh, hymnal of the of the Psalms. And this is going to be 17 Psalms. Um, I think it was corpus is the word I was looking for. Um, 17 Psalms. So from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106 uh, will represent book four. And then after this book, God willing, we'll get into uh, the first part of the book of Isaiah. We did second Isaiah. So God willing, we'll go to first Isaiah and then come back and finish book five of the psalm. So welcome, glad to have you. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into Psalms 90 and 91 for this evening. Heavenly Father, we come before you and just thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness, for your great mercy toward us. Father, it's a a time of great confusion the world over, and yet, Father, we're not confused because we have the light of your word. We have the, the, the guidance from your word and from these ancient texts. We just thank you so much, Father, that you've put it in our hearts to have a desire to want to study uh, these books and to gain wisdom uh, from these books, Father. We pray that you'll bless our study this evening, help us to draw closer to you, to walk more closely with Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Let's get into the study for this evening, brethren. We're uh, covering Psalm 90, but I want to go back uh, just before we cover Psalm 90, just to remind us of where we were uh, before we took the break. We finished with Psalm 89, and then we went into the finishing off the prison epistles. But here in Psalm 89, just as a reminder, let's go back to Psalm 89. And it opened as a, a maskeel, as a, a writing of wisdom, a teaching psalm uh, of Ethan, the Ezraite. And he says here, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. The cassette, the loving kindness of God. He's just so overwhelmed by this. He'll sing of it forever. And uh, with my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations, actually the faithfulness, the cassette to all generations. So he's just so overwhelmed by God's faithfulness, he wants to make it known to all generations. That's how the psalm begins, but it doesn't end with the same tone. And so we have to read between the lines as we, if you go back into the archives, as we did to understand what is the psalmist really saying here in Psalm 89. But after saying that he will declare God's faithfulness to all generations. In verse 34, he says, My covenant will I not break. So God will not break his covenant, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. So so this is God's faithfulness to his covenant. He will not go back on his covenant. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. So, So whatever this covenant, this Davidic covenant is, God absolutely will fulfill it, and we can trust in that. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. So God is saying, I absolutely, under no circumstances, will I go back on my word to David, that his seed shall endure 
uh, forever. <clears throat> and that his throne will be as the sun before me. It, it, it will be established forever. That is what God promises. He says, it shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. So case closed, we can meditate on this, we can take this to the bank. But then there's this sharp turn in Psalm 89, beginning here in verse 38. He says, but you have cast off and abhorred. So even though you promised this to David, when we look at our situation now, you have actually cast off and abhorred. You have been wroth, very angry with your anointed. Now listen to this. You have made void the covenant of your servant. This same covenant that we were trusting in, you've made it of none effect. You've made it void. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. This is the crown of David. That you, you said it would be established forever. And now you've made void this covenant and you've you've made you've profaned his crown. You've you've basically made it made it useless. You've made his crown useless, vain, by casting it to the ground. You you've done this, Lord. He says, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses? And so the Psalms are all about the cassette. The chesed, the, the loving kindness of God. And now the, the psalmist is wondering, where are your former, former loving kindnesses, which you swore unto David in your truth? What's happened here, God? The, the, thro the throne is thrown down. There's no more throne. You made a covenant with David. What has happened? He says, remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants. Look, look how we're suffering now. How I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, these, these powerful enemies, wherewith your enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. So there is this catastrophe. The, the, the psalm ends, it opens with, with singing of the, the faithfulness of God and, and to all generations. But it ends with this, this catastrophe that although there's this covenant in place with David, something has happened and, and the, the covenant is broken. And, and although David's throne is to be established forever, God himself has profaned it, has made it of no effect. And then he ends by saying, blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So what do we, this, this is how book three ends with this crisis or this apparent crisis, because the, the way the psalmist opens the psalm, he's actually not in crisis. But the way it ends, there is a very, very deep concern from the covenant community that God has, in fact, forsaken them. Now, <laughs> I was doing a little bit of research, and uh, one of these, um, one of these uh, churches of God has come up with a solution is actually uh, propagating that the throne of David, in fact, is still standing. Because God says that he will never lack a man to sit on the throne before him. And so the throne actually left Jerusalem. Through Jeremiah, it went to Ireland. 
then the royal family of the United Kingdom sat on that throne, but they have now violated their position on that throne. So the throne, through a, a different stone, has now transferred to this Church of God organization. And he, in fact, sits on the throne. So he, he's, he's the one that sits on the throne. So hopefully you can see this image. I think there may be some problem with the Internet tonight. But it's just a, an image of a magazine called Royal Vision with new stone, new throne. And so this individual um, is claiming to his followers that he, in fact, is the new king of Israel and Judah. And that he, they, are, they are, in effect, his subjects. But he's the new king. Because God promised David that he'll always have a man to sit on his throne. This is the kind of concoction and the kind of insanity that people can come up with when they do not read the text carefully. So when we read the text carefully, God himself profaned the throne of David. And the community is in this crisis because they were, they, they were in covenant and they thought they could take that covenant for granted. They thought that nothing could ever happen to them because they were the covenant people. When in fact, if we read the covenant carefully, they would be shattered and scattered because of their unfaithfulness if they break the covenant. And so the covenant would in fact break them. But that ultimately does not mean that God is unfaithful to his covenant. In fact, it shows that God is faithful because he has multiple covenants and, and there's the Davidic covenant, there's the Abrahamic covenant, there's the Mosaic covenant, and he's, he's faithful to all these covenants, and they all have to interoperate. And so Psalm 90 now, as we come into Psalm 90, it in fact is a response to Psalm 89. Psalm 90 and 91, even 92, are in response to the crisis of faith that, that Psalm 89 or Book 3 ends with. So if we now go to Psalm 89, or Psalm 90, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. So they are now uh, saying that this is from Moses, but they're putting it juxtaposed to the crisis of uh, faith in the period of Psalm 89. And now we can look to Moses to understand how do we respond to this crisis. So a, a prayer of Moses the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The eternal God. So, so he's been our dwelling place. This is where we dwell. In all generations. It doesn't matter. What, what is happening, there's always going to be uh, God's ability to, to, to be there for us as long as we repent or the people of the covenant repent and turn to him. You've been our dwelling place in all generations. And so just, again, I should have said when we're talking about this, uh, this idiotic leader, this, this false teacher who is claiming that he is the new king on the throne of David, that, um, excuse me, but the northern tribes of Israel were divorced. God, they broke covenant with God. God cut them off. So they are divorced and they, they remain cut off until Christ's return, when he'll join Israel and Judah together into one stick. So the covenant remains in Judah. And within Judah now, there's this crisis of faith, because the throne of David, God himself has profaned it within Judah. So now, 
Moses is showing us that God has been our dwelling place in all generations. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before you and shall say, destroy them. So Moses understood something. That even though the enemy might get the upper hand for a period, it's only for a period. And that God, in fact, is in a, a, an eternal covenant with his people. So even though the enemy gets the upper hand, God will, in fact, turn them away and restore the dignity to his people. But there may be a period where the throne is profaned. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever... You have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Moses is going all the way back to the beginning and all the way forward into eternity. And God is established forever. You turn, listen to verse 3, you turn man to destruction. So if, the, if, if in Psalm 89, they find themselves in a crisis of faith, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And, and Moses makes it very, very clear that God himself turns man to destruction. That that is God's doing. But there's a purpose for it. If, if the community is in crisis and feels abandoned by God and overwhelmed by their enemies, there's a purpose for that. And he says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men. That's why uh, they find themselves in the situation that they're in at the end of Psalm, uh, Book 3 and Psalm 89. And then listen to this now. This is the sort of, we, we know this verse quite well, but in the context of what we just read in Psalm 89 and how Psalm 90 is juxtaposed to Psalm 89. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. So verse 4 of Psalm 90 isn't just hanging in the air in midair by itself. It's, it's, it's in response to, look, look at verse 3. You turn man to destroy. So if in Psalm 89, at the end of Psalm 89, the community is in a crisis of faith and wondering what happened. God has profaned the throne. He's, he's made void the covenant. What is going on here? Well, read the writings of Moses and read what God said he would do if the people were unfaithful. And God will do exactly that because he is faithful. But what he is doing is ultimately driving his people to faithfulness. They may have to suffer. They may have to go deep into the darkest hour of the soul before they will fully turn around and be fully repentant. But God has a plan. And he knows the, the inner workings of the heart of man. And he's going to purify the sons of Levi so that he can have a true people of God to represent him in the earth. You turn man to destruction. And you say, return you children of men. For a thousand years are in your sight as yesterday. So even if the destruction lasts for a thousand years for mankind... To God, that's like a day. So while the community is in crisis for a period, to God this is nothing. Because what did Moses say? He says, even from everlasting to everlasting. 
God is from everlasting to everlasting. So if there's a period of time where the throne of David is profaned, this is nothing compared to eternity. Because God will in fact restore the throne of David. And the son of David will sit on that throne eternally. And David will reign with him eternally. And so in the eternal scheme of things, the fact that God had to drive these people into deep crisis in order to turn them around, a thousand years, it's like yesterday. It's nothing. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. That's all it is, like a watch in the night. So this period of crisis like a watch in the night. And, and this is obviously quoted in, in the New Testament, Second Peter 3 and verse 8. Peter says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And we're going to see this uh, theme of a thousand years repeated in uh, book 4, as really pointing us to the millennium. But a thousand, even in the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ, it's like a day. And then it's into eternity. So Peter himself quotes this. Back to Psalm 90. You carry them away as with a flood. This this is what's happening to God's people. God, God allows it. God drives the people into crisis because of their unfaithfulness. You carry them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. This is the human condition. And somehow, even God's people don't understand this. When we're in the glory of our strength, we're in our prime years, even though we're God's people, we're the covenant people, we somehow think we we go on forever in this mortal existence. And Moses is saying, men are like grass. We we, um, show up, we have our glory, and then we're gone. So, um, this is this is the situation that we're in. So let me just um, stop sharing my screen for a moment, and then I'll reshare it because I just it seems like there's some problems with the the uh, internet tonight. So hopefully um, you will be able to follow along here. But I'm on verse six of Psalm 90. In the morning it flourishes and grows up; in the evening it is cut down and withers. For we are consumed by your angry, and by your by your anger and by your wrath are we troubled. This this is what's going on in Psalm eighty nine. Moses could foresee it. In fact, Mo, before the people even went into the promised land, Moses could foresee their trouble. And, and Moses has a very very deep understanding of the relationship of the covenant community with Jehovah. Uh, so we're we're destroyed. By your anger. This is why he profaned the throne of David. And by your wrath are we troubled. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony. I just want to just check something here. Yeah, so we're just just having some problem with the the internet. I'll, I'll continue here just for the sake of the archive because it looks like uh, it's working fine on my end, and so I think it'll be fine in the archive. So sorry if there's some trouble with the transmission, but hopefully you have your, your Bibles handy 
and you can follow along there if it's not scrolling on your screen. So, so when he says here in um, Psalm 90, verse 7, that we're, the covenant community is destroyed uh, by God's anger and, and by his wrath they're troubled, think of what he wrote here in Numbers 17 in the Torah, Numbers 17 and verse 10. Number 17 and verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, the covenant people of God, to be kept for a token against the rebels. And you shall quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spoke unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. This is the relationship of the covenant community with God, that that he he will not hold back on his his destruction of these people as they deserve. It goes on here in verse 13. Whoever comes anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. When we're into relationship with Jehovah, this is serious business. And these people needed to understand that God is holy, and they are meant to be a holy people, and they cannot fool around. Whoever comes any near, anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall, shall we be consumed with dying? And so Moses here in this prayer clearly understands this relationship of the covenant community to the covenant-keeping God. And I think for, for many, it can, we just can take God for granted and think that God is just this big, cuddly teddy bear and we can do whatever we want. But God is bound by his word. It's impossible for him to lie. So he, he follows his word to the T. And, and, and there are multiple covenants and he's being faithful to all of them. <laughs> it's just amazing how all of them come together in Christ. Verse 8 of Psalm 90. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So Moses understood this. There's human nature. Uh, everybody wants to be thought well of. And there's human nature. And, and people are doing things, but they're, they're hiding it. And Moses is saying, you've said it right in front of us. It's right in front of our face. No secret now. And in fact, in Jeremiah 17, and verse 10, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. So he searches your mind. He searches my mind. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So this is the answer now. Psalm 90 is showing us in, in detail what happened in Psalm 89 and why the people were in this crisis of faith. That's how faithful God is. Verse 9, for all our days are passed away with your wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. This is a prayer of Moses thousands and thousands of years ago, and it precedes the crisis of Psalm 9. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. So that's 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. 
this is life. That 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 this this um this that the life here is very very difficult, and it's work, but it's, it's also sorrow. And Moses is saying, look, somebody will live seventy, mostly seventy. That's our allotment. Some may live to eighty if they're really healthy, but even if they live to eighty, that that extra ten years, labor and sorrow. Now Moses himself in Deuteronomy thirty-four and verse seven. And Moses was 120 years. So when he hit 80, he had another 40 years of labor and sorrow. So much sorrow, in fact, for Moses that because of the grief of the children of Israel that they gave him, he was unable to enter the promised land. He could see it, but he was, not, he was unable to enter it. So Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. So there's an extra 40, an extra 50 years, really from three score years and 10, an extra uh, 50 years of labor and sorrow. Verse 11 of Psalm 90. Who knows the power of your anger? Again, this is answering what's going on in Psalm 89 with a prayer of Moses that precedes the crisis because Moses could, could see the future. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. God is real. And I think now even Christians today are like ancient Israel in that we take God for granted. We think that, you know, because of Christ, God is just all mercy. When if we read the book of Revelation carefully, Jesus Christ is full of wrath. That the things that are going on the earth today anger him intensely. And he's going to unleash that wrath upon the earth. So I think any Christian who portrays God simply one-dimensionally as, as purely merciful and cuddly teddy bear, that Christian doesn't know God. That, that as merciful as God is, he is also wrathful. And, and, and if we understand God in this multi-dimensional excellence, that he's excellence in every aspect of his character, then we won't play with God we will approach him very humbly and, and with, with a great sense of awe and, and gratitude. Who knows the power of your anger? And the children of Israel repeatedly uh, triggered God's anger, st- stimulated his anger. Who knows the power of your anger, even according to your fear, so is your wrath. It's, it's appropriate for us to, to have this great awe of God. What's the conclusion? So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So, so once we realize that we are mortal, it, it, it's a strange thing. We have this uh, electrical, chemical existence and, and we feel in this temporary existence as if we will live forever. It's a very strange phenomenon. And yet all of us know we will die. But we just don't accept this. But Moses is saying, or praying, that we learn to understand that we will die. That we learn to number our days. Okay, three score year and ten. How much time do I have left? How much time do you have left? And that's like best case scenario. We might make it there or maybe a little bit further, four score years. Uh, best case scenario, we could die tonight. We could die tomorrow. So if we if we have this have a real sense of this, 
then we'll apply our hearts to wisdom. You know, there's people running up and down tonight doing all kinds of things, but we're here studying God's word because we have this sense that this is this is not every this is like a dream, and one day we're going to wake up and enter the real world, the eternal world. Hopefully, if we are faithful. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Here um, in Deuteronomy 32, in Torah, Moses writes of Israel, for they are a nation void of counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. So you can see these ancient Israelites, they felt like they will live forever in their temporary state. And, And Moses' prayer is that we would understand we're temporary. And in that temporariness and that realization of our temporariness that we would we would develop wisdom and understanding but here of ancient israel he says they are a nation void of counsel neither is there any understanding in them oh that they were wise that they understood this that they would consider their latter end that that was moses's prayer in here in psalm 90 that the, that the covenant people would learn to number our days. And in Torah, he says that if only they were wise, if only they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Back to Psalm 90. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent you concerning your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So despite this understanding of God's wrath and his anger, Moses also understood his mercy. And in the presence of their unfaithfulness and in the presence of his wrath, Moses could pray for God to return and to repent concerning his servants, to, to change his, the situation of the relationship between the covenant people and God, which has been characterized by God's wrath, by their unfaithfulness and God's wrath, Moses is now praying for a change. O oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. This is what Moses wants. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us. So this is the answer now to Psalm 89. That there's this crisis and this crisis of faith. And there's this pondering, what, what has happened to the covenant? And Moses responds by praying, Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let your work appear unto unto your servants and thy glory unto their children. So remember, Moses was not just uh, the lawgiver, the great lawgiver. He was also a prophet. And he could look into the future. He saw the present situation, but God also gave him insight and foresight to understand the future. And he could now pray here in Psalm 90 that God ultimately would, would turn the situation around. And this comes, if, and we've read this so many times, I think we should be able to recite these by heart by now, Deuteronomy 30. What is the purpose of God's wrath? And, and how does his wrath satisfy the covenant? Because God ultimately is faithful to his covenant. He never lies. He will not lie to David. He will not turn his back on his covenant. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you. He just read them, the blessings and the curses. All of these curses. He just read it all out to them. 
And then he says to them, It shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse. I can see the future. It's not rosy. It's, you're going to get both. You, you'll start out well, but then you're going to fail. The blessing and the curse, which I have set before you. And you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. You shall be shattered and then scattered. And when that happens, you'll finally remember what I taught you. And you shall return unto the Lord your God because of this. That is the purpose of these curses, not to destroy you, but to turn you around, to make you realize you are in covenant with the great God of the universe. And when you come to realize this, for you to repent and accept the relationship that you are bound by. And you shall return unto the Lord your God, and you shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. And so here in Psalm 90, he says, let your work appear unto your servants and your glory unto their children. Well, God says, in, or Moses wrote here in Torah in, Psalm, in Deuteronomy 30, that once they repent and return to the Lord their God and obey his voice according to everything that Moses commanded, then they and their children, when they do this with all their heart and all their soul, that's when they'll finally be blessed and restored and, and gathered from the four corners of the earth where they've been scattered. Let's conclude Psalm 90 now. He says, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish you the work of our hands upon us. Yeah, the work of our hands establish you it. So Israel has a purpose. And Moses understands that these covenant people have a pur purpose. And he's praying here that the beauty of the Lord God be upon them. And when we turn to a second Isaiah, especially Isaiah 60, we see exactly this. But boy, do they have to go through this crisis. In fact, um, Jeremiah and, and Daniel describe it as the worst time ever. No nation ever will suffer the way the covenant people will suffer. That it, it, It's the time of the, 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 the trouble for the covenant people. And it's unprecedented. Not to destroy them, to turn them around. As I said previously, uh, we can think of the great tribulation as the great, the great redemption, the great restoration. Psalm 91 is also part of the answer to Psalm, the crisis in Psalm 89 that Book 4 ends with. At the end, I will um, cross-reference some verses, but I don't want to interrupt the flow of the psalm. It's a psalm we're all very familiar with, but I'd like just to read it in its entirety before commenting on it. And I hope that the video issues are, are improving. As I say, I'll just continue here um, for the sake of the archive. So Psalm 91 and uh, verse 1. He that dwells, so, so we saw that earlier with um, Psalm 90, it's about dwelling. And here now, you know, God is our dwelling place forever, but here now he says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow 
of the Almighty. Okay, great. So I understand the scriptures. Thanks, Pastor Murray. The scriptures are scrolling a bit better now. But again, as I say, at least for the archive, we'll have it. <clears throat> he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So think of the beauty of this poetry, but it's about dwelling. It's, it's not this sort of superficial relationship. It's being settled in the secret place of the Most High, really being in relationship with him, and he is the Most High. That the reward for that is we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He's the Most High, and he's the Almighty. And we are so close to him that we can abide under his shadow. Anybody who's far away can't be under his shadow. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. And it's interesting, Psalm 91 opens with no uh, authorship. It's not ascribed to anybody. So we don't know. It's an anonymous psalm. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, My guess is King David wrote this, but it doesn't say. But here, certainly the person has a very deep understanding. I will say of the Lord. So, so he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. So just in two verses, God is referred to as the Most High. He's referred to as the Almighty, as the Lord, and as my God. So a very, very rich understanding of who God is and our place with him and, and, and his oversight over us. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. It's interesting to me that many of the brethren who will quote this psalm are the very same people that when you speak of the snare of the fowler, the first thing they'll say is, oh, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. Everything's a conspiracy theory. There's never any conspiracy fact. We never say conspiracy fact. It's always conspiracy theory. They're sort of dismissive. There's no such thing as conspiracies. And yet the Bible says that surely he shall deliver us from the conspiracy of the bird catcher. The the fowler, the person who's catching birds, does so secretly, stealthily. Conspiracy, if it's more than one of them. The bird has no idea what's coming. And surely, I hope by now, brethren, we can see that there are people on this planet who hate Christ and hate those who choose to So there is such a thing as conspiracy fact. And, and later on, there's verses that we're very familiar with that people love, brethren love to quote. But these same brethren, you talk about any sort of consp- oh, conspiracy theory. Never conspiracy fact. Surely, he shall deliver you from the conspiracies, the, the secret designs of the bird catcher, the fowler, and from the noisome pestilence. So interesting that we're studying this psalm now during this pestilence and the designs, the hysterical government responses around it. But he'll deliver us from Shall you trust? And, you know, it reminds me here of Christ in, in Matthew 23, at the tail end, when he says to Jerusalem that this was his desire. That, oh, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. So your place is left unto you desolate. 
So God's will here for those who dwell with him is to cover us with his feathers. And you get this sense of this gentleness. And this is what we have to understand about God. He's, he's multidimensionally excellent. That, that as wrathful as he is, that's how tender he is. And so if we can come into this secret dwelling place of the Most High, we can, we can uh, experience his tenderness. And, and covering us with feathers, you just think of how soft that is. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. There's this real sense of confidence of who, you know, God is invisible. And most people mock him. The, the name of Jesus Christ is mocked. Muhammad, a man, a, a, a flawed mortal. You don't dare say anything about him. But Jesus Christ, our, our great Savior, our great God, mocked the world over. He's invisible now. But to those of us who know him, he's real. Just because something's invisible doesn't mean it's real. In fact, people have no... evidence of Jesus Christ. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall you trust. There has to be a trust. We're under his wings. What we've experienced being in the secret place of the Most High. And so we can have this confidence that we're under his wings. Under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. This is why we study God's word. That we're not tripped up. We understand we've been studying from Genesis to Revelation. And we, and we have this whole sense of what God's word is and what it's all about. And because of that, that's our shield and buckler. That people who don't know God's word, you know, we have uh, the other day this, um, the president select uh, was quoting the book of Palms. <laughs> the book of Palms. You know, these people don't know God. They want to position themselves like they do. And then they have scholars who can pick and choose little verses to try to trip us up. But if we know the whole scriptures and we're constantly studying them and he's revealing to us what they really mean, this is our shield and our buckler. And so no matter, no matter what, we can have great confidence. I'm not sure what's happening with the internet tonight. I'm getting a couple of times where I'm just seeing like it's uh, having difficulty with the transmission. So hopefully uh, you, you have your scriptures with you and you're able to follow along. Verse 5. You shall not be afraid... For the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. These next two, uh, next few verses, these are the verses that brethren love to quote. And I want to say that I want to take a bit of exception to how they're used in the church. So let's read them and read them carefully. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night. So, so things will happen. And, and speaking here to ancient Israel. There was terror by night. And the psalmist is saying, you don't need to be afraid. Nor for the arrow that flies by day. So there's terror by night. There's the snare of the fowler. There are secret things that happen at night. And then in day, there's open warfare. But you, who dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you need not be afraid. Nor for the pestilence that walks in the darkness. And here we are in a time of pestilence. And Christ prophesied this and more to come. Nor for the destruction 
that wastes at noonday. And, and certainly the world that we're living in right now is so unstable. It is so unstable. You know, soon uh, we're here at the tail end of a year of, of uh, you know, the, the word unprecedented has been used so much to describe this year. Uh, and so people will now come into 2021. Uh, oh, I'm glad 2020 is behind us. Happy New Year. Looking forward to the new year. Uh, why? This instability will only lead to greater instability. The, the changes that we have experienced are only going to lead to more change. And I know a lot of people with the, the U.S. elections, a lot of Christians, mean, think it's nothing. Who cares? One guy's in, another guy's out. They're all corrupt. Who cares? Brethren, we should care. The, the, the scriptures tell us, they in fact command us to pray for the king so that we may go about our work, that we may continue to preach the gospel. And then I think clearly of the last four years, we, we see a man who is working hard. I'm not saying he's perfect. Working hard for the American people and, and created an economy that the world has never seen before. The whole world, the history of mankind has never seen this economy. And people don't understand the importance of an economy. But we're going to find out. It looks like, you know, from what I can see, that uh, there will be a change in administration. There's a chance that there may not be. It's not over yet. Uh, but there's a good chance, just because of the corruption and the powers that be, that uh, they will, in fact, get their way and get their man in place. And America's going to go down. America's going to be sold out. And I think we're going to see as Christians what it means when we have a socialist government in place in America. And as America goes, it's, America's not just another country. You, know, you can have corruption in, in a small little country. And it really doesn't matter. It's that, that's sort of limited. That's what happens in that country. But you get this kind of corruption in America and this communist or socialist takeover of America, it affects or it will affect the whole world. And it will affect the whole Christian world. And in my opinion, from my observation, most Christians, most brethren, are not ready for what's coming. And they comfort themselves with psalms like this taken out of context. That, oh, nothing will ever happen to me. Nothing will touch me. It's all, it doesn't matter. When we're not ready, we actually need more time. We need more time to strengthen our backbones, to prepare for martyrdom, and to preach the gospel so that more can be converted and more people can repent and get right with God. But we know it's going to get cut off at some point, and then it is what it is. And many people who talk a good game, well, we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll see who's who. But this matters, and the scriptures say, pray for the king. Pray for the king so that we can lead a quiet life and we can, we can do the work of God. That's what the scripture says. So we can't just be, oh, it doesn't matter when the scripture tells us what to do. At the same time, we're not going to fight brethren over this. You know, the, 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 we, we are seeking higher things, and that's why we pray for the king, because we're seeking higher things. But as far as this world goes, we're dead to it. We're unresponsive to it. Nobody can recruit us into their thing because we're, we're, we're recruited already into God's army. He says, You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, 
nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. And this, God's people should be fearless. We should know where we abide and who we dwell with. And we can face anything fearlessly. Easier said than done. We are wired for fear. That's why we're alive, because we're wired for fear. And fear takes over in order to keep us alive, to keep us to avoid uh, tragedy. But now with the Holy Spirit, we have to control our fear. We have to overcome our fear and look death in the eye and say, Christ is King. Christ is Lord. He says here, again, a passage that brethren love to quote, out of context I may add, a thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. So this clearly is a verse of ancient Israel. It's an anonymous author, but it's written with a specific context and a time of tragedy and warfare for Israel. And this is encouraging those faithful at this time. Now, can we lift this passage and apply it in a modern context? Of course, but we have to be careful. We have to apply it in a modern context, not by itself, but with all of the other scriptures that can be applied with a modern text context so that we can come to a right understanding of what is this saying. And so let's keep this in mind. A thousand shall fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Okay, let's keep that. So I guess the question is, can this, be, can this, can this scripture be abused? Can it be quoted out of context? Can it be uh, given, can it be quoted in a sense to give us false hope and, and, and cause us to do things that we should not do? So let's. So what does this mean? Does this mean that God's people will never be touched and that all of this destruction is going to be around us? You know, um, I just came back, my wife and I just came back from the UK, which is suffering from this pestilence of COVID-19. It's everywhere. And every day now I get an email from the government of Canada asking me, are you sick yet? Are you sick yet? Have you any symptoms yet? And never get an email from them saying, you know, are you making sure you're taking your vitamin D, your zinc, your vitamin C? Are you looking after yourself, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you get exercise? No. Stay in your house. You're under a house arrest. Are you sick yet? Are you sick yet? Well, no, we're not sick yet. So does that mean that Psalm 91 is now fulfilled? Because the pestilence hasn't touched us? And no brethren in the church of God will ever be sick from COVID-19? Is that what this means? He says, because we have to understand, how do we apply this verse or these, this, this passage? Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. There it is again, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Because you've done this, there shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. So, no plagues come near our dwelling. Is that what this means? What does this mean? How do we apply this in a modern context? Because clearly it applied to whoever was writing it to whoever they were writing it to. Does it apply equally to us? Nobody in the church of God will ever suffer from COVID-19. Nobody in the church of God will ever uh, be killed, will ever be martyred. Is that what this means? For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. So we never have to worry. We never have to worry. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. 
you shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall you trample under your feet. Why? Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. So God says, look, this is why. He set his love upon me. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. So because he's known my name, God says I will set him on high. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Beautiful psalm, quoted many, many times by brethren. My concern is, and we'll we'll turn to Luke in just a moment, my concern with this psalm is it tends to be quoted by brethren who don't are not willing to suffer. They cannot cope with the idea of tragedy ahead, of a tragic road ahead. And, I, and what I say to, to us brethren is this. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared for this uh, shift, this change in season. And that, you know, we may have to, in fact, suffer. And if we can prepare ourselves for martyrdom, if we can prepare that no matter what, we will look death in the eye and say, Jesus is Lord. It's, it's going to be far better for us to come from that position and then find, oh, we were spared. Rather than from the position, nothing will ever touch me. I'm a child of God. The church of God is, is in God's place. Nothing will ever befall the church. I think this um, approach, I think it's superficial, brethren. And I think when the church faces tragedy, so, so again, in, in America, America to me is the special nation in the world. And because of their First Amendment and also the Second Amendment, primarily the First Amendment and their value of freedom, even though they're flawed, that this Judeo-Christian influence that has influenced the society, they have spread that around the world. And there is a Judeo-Christian ethic and definition of right and wrong that has influenced the world for centuries. When America collapses, so does that point of view. And it will be replaced by a communist perspective or an Islamic perspective or both. An atheistic perspective, an idolatrous perspective, where might is right. And and no you can't say no one's above the law. People will be above the law. The law will be very flexible and applied, you know, uh, just arbitrarily. This is the world we're heading into. And Christians will suffer, as we have in the past. We'll suffer again. And again, many talk a good game. But we're not really ready. And, and, and having this superficial approach that no harm will ever come to us is not preparing us for the worst. And Christ wanted us to be prepared for the worst. So the first question we have is, can this psalm be misapplied? Well, let's look at what happened with Christ. He says, Luke 4, verse 5, And the devil, taking Christ up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So at a certain point in time, this is what all the kingdoms of the world will look like. Maybe that time is just ahead of us now, under this global beast power. 
And this is the, the pinnacle of Satan's might. And maybe this is the moment in time that Satan showed Christ to say, this can be yours. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give you and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If you therefore will worship me and shall all shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get you behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from here, for it is written. And then he quotes the psalm that we just finished reading. So can this Psalm 91 be misapplied? I think the answer is yes, because Satan himself misapplied it to Christ himself. He says, you know, <laughs> Satan is a very clever being. <clears throat> For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So the verse was being misapplied, and Christ caught it and said, no, you can't misapply that scripture. And when the devil ended all of the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So clearly we can see the scripture can be misapplied. In Matthew 24, so, so to apply it now to, to, to us as Christians and say no harm will ever touch us, a thousand will fall on one side and ten thousand at another, but no harm will ever come to us. And to apply that in a physical sense, always, all the time, is the misapplication of the scripture. And we know it's the misapplication because of Christ's own teachings to the church. Here in Matthew 24 and verse 8, he says, all this, as we see these signs, this is just the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Wait a minute, I thought no harm would ever come to us. When the Lord himself is saying, you're going to be afflicted. And you shall be killed. Wait, hold on a second. We're your faithful disciples. We're dwelling with you. And now you're telling us they're going to kill us? But what about Psalm 91 that says no harm will ever come to us? Well, God's word cannot be broken. So this, we have to make sense of Psalm 91 in the context of Christ's overall teachings to the church. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. I, I, brethren, I feel this, this need in my role to prepare the church for the worst. And if the worst doesn't come, at least we were prepared. We resolved in our minds. We were resolved. We will go forward to, with Christ no matter what. We're not expecting that everything's going to be rosy and no harm will ever come to us. And then when harm comes, we're offended. We're shocked. I didn't sign up for this. Rather than, hey, I'm expecting the worst. And when, when, horror, when horror comes, it's like, hey, is that all you've got? I was expecting even worse than that. So you do your worst. I'm not departing from Christ. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Well, wait a minute. Psalm 91 said, because we, we know his name, we'll be safe. Christ is saying, because you know my name, you will be unsafe. And then shall many be offended. 
and shall betray one another and hate one another. This is the scattered mind. This is the panicked mind. This is the weak mind with no backbone. That when the trouble comes, they freak out. And they, they are now so selfishly minded that it's all about preserving the self. As opposed to the mind that said, I understand what I've signed up for, and Jesus is Lord. And, and I'm, I'm just going to, I understand, I'm preparing myself, I'm, I'm strengthening my backbone so I can be there for my brethren. And I would rather be crucified for my brethren than to betray the body of Christ. And many false teachers shall rise and shall deceive many. We've got this uh, imbecile, this, this false teacher in one of the churches of God saying he sits on the throne of David. He's the new king. The new king. Okay, can you believe this, brethren? These are the, an example of the false teachers when we get wrong ideas in our mind and we don't study the scriptures ourselves. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And, and we want to hear smooth things. So we go after, you. hey, you know, you're the special people. If you follow me, we'll all go to this place of safety and no harm will ever befall us. When Christ himself is saying, harm will come if you're going to follow me. In Matthew 10 and verse 20, 28, he says, And fear not them which kill the body. This is a command. That these people who can kill the body... We're not supposed to be afraid of them. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows us. We dwell in this secret place with him. And he knows what he's doing. And if we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. If we ask him for an egg, he's not going to give us a serpent. So if crisis comes, we need to understand it's all good for us in the end. And we need to trust him. So there's a level where Psalm 91 can be read on a physical level. But then there's a level where we read it on an eternal level. Fear you not, therefore... You are of more value than many sparrows. Don't be afraid, brethren. When this crisis comes, and, and lo, it will come. It's coming. All of this instability is leading to it. We need to be ready. Take the time now to be ready. And if God grants us more time, wonderful. Let's get even stronger and strengthen each other. But if the time is short and we, we enter into this horrible time of crisis, let's not be like the ancient Israelites who became unfaithful and betrayed. Let's be like Christ's faithful disciples and apostles and understand that all of this, in the grand scheme of things, this is a, a hiccup. Fear you not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So that's what we're heading into. In Revelation 6 and verse 11, white robes were given to these martyrs, every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. What an honor, brethren, if we should be counted 
among these martyrs. This is, this is the highest honor for a Christian. So running around feeling like no, nothing will ever harm us and then being surprised when the world turns against us. This is not the way to go. Instead, we don't want to be morbid here, but we wanted to, Moses taught that he, he prayed that we would learn to number our days and that we would look at the world that we live in and realize how antichristic it is, how these people hate Christ. They pretend they know him, but they quote the book of Palms, displaying to the whole world that they know nothing about God, and yet people fall for them. Anybody can dress up in a suit. Anybody can put on a nice dress. Anybody can put, up per, put on perfume and cologne and look and smell nice. But God searches the hearts. What an honor if we should be killed as these martyrs were. God will give us the highest honor that he can. So rather than this fearful, no-backbone Christian, coward, we should be resolved. I signed up for this. And I understand how glorious God is, and I'm not going to allow any man to take me away from glorifying my God. In Luke 21 and verse 17, he says, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Psalm 91 says he knew my name, and that's why I'm going to bless him. But for us, the Christian, the blessing we're looking for is eternal. It's spiritual. We're not caught up in this temporary life of threescore years and ten maybe four score years. Even a thousand years is like a watch in the night to God. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. So we'll be hated of all men for God's sake, his name's sake, but not a hair of our head shall perish. And yet he tells us we'll be killed. Some of us will be killed. Clearly there's a spiritual dimension to all of this. In your patience possess you your souls. The same thing we read in Revelation, twice in Revelation. That the patience of the saints, that's how we possess our souls. Patience being this long endurance, enduring to the end. Understanding that no matter what's going on around us, even if brethren are perishing, and even if we perish physically, that eternally we will not perish. Not a hair of our head will perish. So Psalm 91 has to be taken from a spiritual dimension, a spiritually mature dimension. In John 16 and verse 1 he says, These things I've spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Yet in Matthew 24, many are going to be offended. But God tells us these things so that we won't be offended. We won't fall into sin. They shall put you out of the assemblies. These are God's people. We're obviously in, you know, we're not in the pagan synagogues. We're in in the assemblies of God's people. And, And many will betray. So they'll put the faithful out. Yes, the time comes that whoever kills you will think, that he does God's service. Wait a minute, I, I kill? Why are we talking about killing me? <laughs> I was just reading Psalm 91 and said I'll never be killed. Now, why, why, why is God telling me about somebody will kill me and think that he's doing God's service? We've got to be spiritually mature and be prepared for this. Christ is telling us all of this so that we will not be offended, even though many will be offended in the end time. And these things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. We have to remember, have these words in us. So as these things unfold, we're like, yeah, you know what? This is exactly what Christ said would happen. Rather than be terrified, rather than lose faith, 
because God told us this is exactly what would happen before it happened and now it's happening, I, I'm doubling down. I, my faith is actually stronger. This is evidence. It, it's like when ancient Israel was suffering this crisis of faith, rather than losing faith, they should have been reading the Torah and saying, you know what? My faith is even stronger now because God is doing exactly what he said he would do. So when we see this crisis, our faith should be stronger because this is exactly what God told us would happen. And these things I said unto you, not at the beginning, because I was with you. Now, Acts 9.15, and Sister Mary and I mentioned this on Sabbath. I don't know if you were with us on Sabbath, but you had asked this question last week, and I couldn't find the verse. But this is the verse that showed that Paul was not exclusively an apostle to the Gentiles. In Acts 9 and verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go your way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me <clears throat> to bear my name. So Paul knew God's name, and he was declaring God's name. And Psalm 91 tells us of the special blessing for those who know God's name. He says, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and notice this, and the children of Israel. So Paul was an apostle, not just to the Gentiles, but also to the children of Israel. And then notice what God says, what Christ says. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. How do you reconcile this with Psalm 91? Where God says, because he knew my name, that he will not suffer these things. And yet, Paul, how did he end his life? He was beheaded. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10, but you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You live very righteously. Persecutions, afflictions. So Paul was suffered, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So he suffered, but he said, God delivered me out of them all. And yet, how did he end his life? Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Buckle up, brethren. Let's be ready. And let's rejoice that we have been chosen to live in this, in this era. In this, this, what a great time to be alive. This is, this is an amazing time to be alive. And if we're holding on to material things, boy, we're going to have a rough ride. Because these people, these uh, socialists, Oh, everybody, everything must be equal, yeah. Everybody must be equally impoverished, except for the few elite. And all the wealth will be concentrated there. And all these social justice warriors in the church, wait until you get your wish. Wait until you see what you've been supporting. Because Satan wants to take everything away from everybody. And especially the ability to worship Christ. That's the main objective. Everything else is sort of, it's a snare of the fowler. So everything else is a cover. And all this social justice and all these, these different uh, slogans that we get behind, it's the work of the devil. And these same brethren have no idea how to suffer for Christ. Only to covet what another man has. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are you ready? Or are, you, are we laboring under this false belief that we will never suffer? Everyone else will suffer, but not us, because we're special. Boy, we're special to live in this end time. And if we can just get through this, this next period of time, however long it is, but it's going to be short, 
And ultimately, Great Tribulation is only three and a half years, 42 months. And if we can just do our part nobly and faithfully, the, the reward is incomprehensible. It's eternal and it's incomprehensible. We just have to be faithful through this spot of trouble. But if we're thinking like, I'm just so special, no harm will ever come to me. Then when, when, when the crisis falls, we're, we're offended. Christ says many are going to be offended. So all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The, the, the society is going to change in such a way that if you want to walk with Christ, you will be identified. You will be clearly marked and we will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax. They're going to they're wax. They're going to gain. Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, so the people of God are going to go down, and the deceivers are going to go up. But the deceivers themselves are being deceived. They're being used. So a lot of these uh, socialist uh, supporters of socialism don't understand how it works. You support the cause until they don't need you anymore. And in fact, often it's the most, um, the strongest supporters of socialism that once they get into power, they need to get rid of those people first because they believe too strongly in the cause. And these people are very cynical. But you, brethren, continue you in the things which you have learned and been assured of, regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of the persecutions that all those in Christ must suffer. We must continue in the things that we have learned and been assured of knowing of whom we have learned them. So ultimately, our teachings come from Christ himself. They may come through men, but the men expound the word of God. They don't make things up. Like, oh, there's a new stone, and therefore there's a new throne, and therefore I'm the king, and you should worship me, and if you follow everything I say and do everything I tell you and give me money, then you can come to the place of safety with me. What nonsense. That, that, that's, that's not in the word of God. That's out of this guy's imagination. Many false teachers. But us, brethren, let's continue in the things which we have learned and been assured of, knowing of whom we have learned them. But watch you in all things endure afflictions. We need to be ready. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And, and if we look at Ephesians 4, the church comes together to do the work of ministry. Do the work of the ministry. Church, do the work of the ministry. Use your gifts. Edify the body. Do the work. Make full proof of your ministry. And we can say that as a church. We must make, so here he's speaking to the individual. But the individual is a member of the body. And that member, that evangelist in Ephesians 4, tells us that the evangelist is there to strengthen the body so that the body can do its ministry. And so as a church, we need to make full proof of our ministry. And now what does he say? The same person that says, God delivered me out of all these afflictions. This man who lived so devotedly to God, who dwelt in the secret place of the Most High. What does he say now? I am now ready to be sacrificed. I thought no harm would come to you, Paul. You, 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 were, you knew God's name. You were declaring his name. You were faithful to him. What, what do you mean? No, no, no harm will come near you, Paul. 
You know, if we were to say to Paul, no, no harm would come near you, he would say, get behind me, Satan. You do not savor the things of God. For I am now ready to be sacrificed. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. So, you know, when he's saying no harm will come to me, he's not thinking of this life. This, this is just a, a, a wrinkle in, in the scheme of things. It's a little hiccup. It's a little spot that's going to be removed. A thousand years is but a day. And most men will live three score years and ten, maybe four score years. What's that to God? And if we have to suffer for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, what's that to God? When he wants to give us eternal glory. And Paul saw that. He said, okay, this is my time. I'm about to be beheaded. I'm about to be sacrificed. But you know what? From, from here on in, there's a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. And then look, what does he say? And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And this is the key, brethren. This is the key that we don't get Psalm 91 thrown at us out of context in a way that gives us false hope, a false hope that when the crisis comes, and lo, it is coming, when the crisis comes because of this false hope, we lose faith. Rather, we can look at Psalm 91, understand the, the, the original context for it, and then pull principles from it forward into our modern context, people of the Holy Spirit, that even though physically we may go down, as Paul did, not a hair of his head will perish. So Paul understood that, that he'd be back, he'd be sitting on a throne with God with a crown, and not a hair of his head would perish as he goes into eternal life. So this crisis at the end of book three, crisis of faith, Psalm 89 does not end well. There's a crisis of faith. It's answered in Psalms 90 and 91 as book four opens of the book of Psalms. And so, brethren, hopefully you, uh, as I did, enjoyed uh, studying this um, this passage or these these passages Psalm 90 and 91 God willing next week we'll continue in the book of Psalms and, and really brethren I can only uh, implore you let's get ready this is an amazing time to be alive there's so much instability in the world and that means that the future can come very rapidly when there's so much structure and stability then the prophecies kind of come slowly, gradually. But when there's so much instability, they can come quickly. Overnight, you can wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly the whole world, as we found in, in early part of 2020, uh, we wake up one day and the whole world, from one week to the next, from one Sabbath to the next, the whole world changes. And that's the time that we live in now. And what this time requires is men of faith and women of faith. Let's count ourselves among them. Let's follow Paul's example who followed Christ into eternity. Jesus Christ is Lord. God bless, brethren.